Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. We are in the middle of a series called Glimpses of Light. Somebody say light. You know, we live in a dark world, a dark and difficult world, but I'm so thankful to be sons and daughters of the light. We are a part of the solution. Can I have a good amen? Man has many problems, but God has called and equipped you and me to be a part of the solution. We kicked this off two weeks ago, and basically this is a series surrounding some of the narratives of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we talked about doubting Thomas, the bout with doubt, and I hope that was encouraging for those of us that are struggling through different areas of our faith, and we saw the grace of God toward Thomas and how it encouraged him. And if you were here last Sunday, didn't Pastor Larry do a fantastic job last Sunday? Oh man, I just thank God for him and Sister Melanie. You can just sense his integrity, the strength of his leadership and authenticity. And he spoke to us about Peter and he talked about overcoming fear and failure. And so today, the topic today is simply this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write some things down. We know that history makers are note takers. I want to talk to you about sharing your faith, sharing your faith. How many of you like to share? How many of you are teaching your children to share? Yeah, sharing is not necessarily automatic. It is a learned behavior because instinctively we are selfish. Come on, talk to me. Don't look all religious up in here. Some of you have a hard time sharing your food. Come on, somebody. Hey, I, I, but I talked to a young lady just this morning. She was, is that, was that a bear claw that you were eating? She was eating a bear claw, and I came up to say hello, and I asked her what she was eating, and she immediately offered a bite, and I'm just grateful for that. How many of you are thankful to share food with people that you love? Yeah, so, so, sometimes we're good about sharing things. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll go on vacation, and we'll take a picture. Got our toes in the sand. Come on. We want the whole world to know, hey, here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. Look at what I just ate. Look at this plate of food. Isn't it amazing? Don't you wish you were me? I want us to be generous in sharing our faith. We share food. We share memories. We share moments. I think God's, God's people need to be good at sharing their faith. Can I have a good amen? I want to talk to us out of Matthew chapter 28. Listen, listen to this story. This is a very familiar story, an ancient story, but I want us to see it in a new lens today. Early on Sunday morning, somebody say early. I like it. As the new day was dawning, the sun was just coming up. The Bible says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake there was a shaking. My prayer for you today is the Holy Ghost will shake you. The Holy Spirit will stir you. Things may need to fall apart. Sometimes good things need to fall apart so better things can come together. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I didn't say that in the previous service. Come on. Fresh rev. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Lord, stir us. Shake us, Lord. Mm, let's move out of our comfort and everything that remains, once something is shaken, what remains is unshakable. Mm -mm -mm. 
So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and he sat on it. Oh, the very thing that you feel is blocking you, God can roll it away and just sit right there on top of it and say, who's boss now? How many of you are grateful that God still rolls stones? Rolled the stone away. Seated on that stone, his face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear and they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. This is Resurrection Sunday. This, this particular passage in Matthew 28 is the greatest event in human history. The greatest story that you could ever share is what we're reading out of it. This event changed everything. Eternity past to eternity future at all points to this moment. And look at who God uses in it. If this is the most significant, important event in human history, look who God chose to be a part of it. The Bible gives us two ladies. One name is Mary Magdalene, and then the Bible says the other Mary. Somebody say the other Mary. I feel sorry for her, don't you? We got Mary Magdalene, and then we got that other girl. That, that, that you know, she's the other Mary. There's this Mary, but then there's that other Mary. I was studying who she was because the Bible doesn't tell us very much about her. Um, you know, we don't know a whole lot, but according to, to ancient history, biblical history, she was the mother of Joseph and a guy named James the Lesser. <laughs> so you got the other Mary. <laughs> I'm the other Mary, and this is James the Lesser. You got this, this real important James, and then you got James, nah, not so much, you know. Isn't it amazing? God uses seemingly insignificant people to be a part of the most significant moments man has ever known. You know, this, this woman, the other Mary, she was, she was at the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. She, there's no recorded words out of her mouth, but seeing her devotion to Jesus tells, tells us everything we need to know about her. But I want to shift gears for a moment and talk to you about Mary Magdalene. She's a little more familiar. Mary Magdalene, she was from a small fishing town on the northern shore of Galilee called Magdala. When I was in the Holy Land two and a half years ago, I went to Magdala. There's nothing there. The most significant thing to come out of Magdala was Mary from Magdala. Magdalene is why we called her that. And now, let me, let me just tell you this. As we move into this narrative, I want you to see something right off the bat. Number one, God uses imperfect people. This is good news. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad God uses us in spite of ourselves. If God only used perfect people, he would have nobody to choose from. Come on, can you help me today? God uses us even in our imperfection. Now, a quick look at Mary Magdalene. Luke's gospel tells us that she had been delivered from seven demons. Okay? Now, let, 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 let me give you three quick things about Mary Magdalene. Number one, she had a past. Okay? This lady had a past. But I want you to see how God didn't hold her past against her. See, this is going to help some of us today because we come here and we know about our past. Maybe few people do, but the enemy reminds us of our past. Listen, don't judge me by my past. I don't live there anymore. 
God has done something to deliver me from the darkness and the shame and the guilt of my yesterdays. And he doesn't hold my past against me. You see, Mary Magdalene had been possessed with not one, not two, not three, not four, five or six, but seven demons. How many know that if you got one devil up inside of you, that's bad? Some of you have been fighting devils in your home. Come on, somebody. Man, if you're battling one demon, you're in trouble. But if you got seven, let me ask you this. What is seven the number of? Completion. All right, seven is the number of completion. This girl was a complete mess. A hot mess and completely messed up. Can I have a good amen? Oh, this is so good. Lord, I'm so glad you use guys like Doubting Thomas and, you know, failures like Peter. And then here you use this woman with a past to become the first evangelist of the resurrection. Who did the angel choose to share the news with first? Mary Magdalene, a lady with a past. Can I tell you, maybe some of you are inhibited by stepping out in faith because of the mistakes you made in your past. If God doesn't hold your past against you, why would you hold it against yourself? Sometimes we're ashamed of our scars. You know, scars remind us that we had a past. But Jesus' scars remind us that we have a future. Come on, somebody. The nails in his hands and in his feet, the spear in his side. There's something about scars. Listen, God can use the pain of your past to produce hope for somebody else's future. I'm thankful for the scars of Jesus. Can I have a good amen? And even when I'm scarred and wounded by the things of yesterday, I don't let that hang over my head. Some of your children are going to come to Jesus through your scars, not in spite of your scars. Come on, can you help me today? See, Mary was a, a woman with a past, but God had a future for her. He didn't allow the past to disqualify her, but her past became her pulpit. Some of you, the pain of your past can become your pulpit, a platform to speak of the grace of God. The goodness of God, freedom and deliverance and healing. You couldn't generate it in your own strength, but Jesus came to you and he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Your, 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 your pain can become a pulpit. Your misery can become your ministry if you allow God in it. Whew, she had a past. You know what? She wasn't a disciple. Think about what she had against her. She had no training no spiritual pedigree. She wasn't part of the who's who of the Christian zoo. Come on, somebody. I'm thinking, Lord, okay, if I'm going to write this story, I would have written the resurrection very differently. All right? Jesus is risen from the dead. Surely the angel would give an announcement to the disciples first. You know what? I mean, these were the, the colossal apostles of their day. You know, I mean, surely, out of the 12, I know one of them defected, Judas, and sorry, that was a bad decision, but he, there was 11 others that Jesus could choose from. You know, there's three that were really his favorite, Peter, James, and John. You know, Peter was kind of the, the older of the disciples. He was the leader. John was the one that Jesus loved. Surely you got somebody better to choose from. Some of you are trying to make excuses why God can't use you. Surely somebody is more qualified than I am. 
Surely somebody has a better gifting, a better talent, a better ability. I don't come from, from a, a, a family of faith. And you look at all the things of your past, you look at your lack of training, your lack of knowledge, and guess what? Jesus says, no, I want this message to go out, and I want it to go out through a woman who had been possessed with seven devils and a woman who's got no spiritual pedigree whatsoever. She wasn't a disciple. She had no training. You know, really the, the, the spirit behind this message, I want you to begin to see a shift when it comes to sharing your faith. Because some people have the mindset that says, well, the lost is Pastor Mike's responsibility. You know, Pastor Mike, it's your job to win the lost. I mean, isn't that what we're paying you for? Isn't that why we give any offering? You're the professional Christian. Come on now. Am I talking where we live? Man, I'm just trying to get by, and man, I'm trying to pay bills and, and raise my kids. Mike, this is your job to win the loss. Can I tell you what my job is? My job is to equip you so that you can win the lost in your world. Okay, some of you didn't like that, but let me... Let, let me. Let me just read to you what the scripture says, all right? Because this is not my idea, all right? This comes from the Bible, Ephesians 4, 11. The Bible says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. He gave some to be apostles and prophets, some to be evangelists and pastors and teachers. That's called the five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. You're thinking, well, surely it's their responsibility to win the lost, but watch it. What's the work of the fivefold ministry? An apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip who? Who are you? Listen, you belong to the Lord, and my job is to equip you to do what? To do his work. It's for you to do the work of the ministry and the building up together of the body in Christ. Somebody say, it's my responsibility. Come on, don't just say, well, Mike, that's your job. Listen, God has a calling for every one of us. Mike, I don't have a platform. I don't have a, a, a microphone. I don't have a message. Oh, contraire. Oh, contraire, mon frere. Yes, you do. You have a platform. Some of you working in a very difficult place. Like, man, I just can't stand this place. These people are so evil and so wicked and they gossip and they tell dirty jokes and they look at inappropriate things. <laughs> That's why God has you. You're there, not me. I don't work there. He has you there. Some of you are like, man, I can't stand school. Man, this is such a godless campus. And, you know, these kids, they don't care about anything but themselves. And there's, there's all this craziness going. No, no, no. God has you at that school. He's got you at that job. You are the evangelist of that environment. It's my job to equip you to do your job well. When you come here on Sundays, I want you to feel, man, now I've got some tools. I've got some weapons and armor. Man, I'm equipped for battle. I see I have an assignment at my workplace. I have an assignment in my community, in my circle of friends. It's our responsibility to connect Christ to our world. You know, the truth is, if you were to take 100 people off the streets, 
maybe one out of a hundred would actually read this book. Maybe one. If you just randomly ask a hundred people how many of them read their Bible, uh, one out of a hundred reads the Bible. But 99 will read your life. They're not reading the Bible at work, but guess what? They're reading your life. Come on, somebody. What's the story of your life saying to a community that don't read the word? Mm, mm, mm. Here's, here's the analogy. Here's the picture that I had. Okay. You see this, you see this salt shaker? It's kind of high level right here. You kind of got salt up here, pepper down here. Got that hourglass, got that nice chrome. How I many you know this came from Rachel's kitchen? This has Rachel all over it, man. When we, when we season, we season in style. You know, the, the, the salt, I was thinking about this because Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He's not just talking to preachers. He's talking to believers. Something about salt is really interesting. Salt is a preservative. Before there were refrigerators, salt would be used to keep food preserved. Salt is also a seasoning. How many of you are thankful for the seasoning of South Louisiana? Listen, I'm from the Midwest, okay? I'm from Missouri, meat and potatoes, and it don't taste good. But then I moved to Baton Rouge in the late 80s, and I, I got a revelation. Tony Sashries just makes food come alive. Oh, how many are feeling the Holy Ghost right about now? Man, salt is not just a preservative, it's a seasoning. Listen, salt is a change agent, all right? It has to come in contact with something in order to be effective. As long as I keep this salt in the shaker, it's not doing anybody any good. But you know what has to happen to salt? You got to get it out of the shaker and you got to pour it out, you see, God's saying, don't just be caught up in the salt shaker of a Sunday service. I've, used, I've called you and I want to use you in your workplace and in this community. You got to get outside of the shaker in order to be an agent of change. You have to come in contact with a bland culture, with a, with a tasteless society in order to be effective. You are the salt of the earth. This was a woman with a past. She had no training. She wasn't a disciple. And listen, she was a woman. She was female. God chose to use a woman in a time. Now, I want you to think about the culture 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Women had no rights. They weren't educated. They weren't even valued or counted. Think about it. When, when, when the scripture talks about like Jesus feeding the multitudes, the Bible says there were 5,000 men. Sorry, ladies, but you didn't count back then. Guess what? In a court of law, a woman's testimony was not even admissible as a credible witness. Think about that. A woman's testimony was not valid in a court of law 2,000 years ago because of her gender. And yet Jesus says, I want to use a woman to be the first witness to give testimony to the most significant event in human history. If it weren't for this female preacher, the world wouldn't know about the resurrection of Jesus. Come on, talk to me. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish. Somebody say foolish. 
in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless. Somebody say powerless. To shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Say despised. Things counted as nothing at all. And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers to be so important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Why would God use the foolish, the powerless, and despised? So that he could get all the glory. You know what? God delights in using things the world tries to discredit dismiss and even cancel what culture is trying to cancel God says you know what I'm going to use that to be the evangelist for the most important message the world will ever hear you know I like to tell people I like to tell people this I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody Isn't that what God enjoys doing? Taking ordinary people like us, he uses imperfect people. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Now look at what it says, verse 5. After they get this message, the angel speaks to the women and he tells them, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Uh, Good news, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. I want you to know this. If God said it, he'll do it. And if he's spoken it, he will make it good. I don't know what the Lord has told you, but if you've got a promise from God, you hold on to that promise. Delay is not denial. Don't listen to your circumstances. Don't check with your feelings. God's word will not return void, but it's going to accomplish exactly what he wants. The Bible says the angel had to remind them, listen, he's not here. He's risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen Come see. Somebody say, come see. We say that in Louisiana, don't we? Hey, y'all come see. Y'all come see. Come see. Get over here. Come see. I love it. You know, listen, I know when we get to heaven, it's going to be filled with crazy Cajuns. Come on, somebody. I I love that. See, our accent, sometimes people say we have an accent. Have you ever been told, y'all, you have an accent? No, I told my kids the other day. One of my kids came home, and this was a number of years ago. She was so sad. She said, Dad. You know, my friends, they told me that I have a country accent. I said, it's okay, baby. When we get to heaven, everybody's going to sound like us. Come on. (laughs) Come see where his body was lying. And then he says, verse 7, now go quickly and tell. Somebody say, come see. Say, go tell. Notice the order. You got to come see first. All right. Come see for yourself. You need a personal experience with God. You can't speak of something that you know nothing of. Come on. But God say, come see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to experience the goodness of God. Come see first. Now go tell second. You go tell what you have seen and what you have heard. He says this, now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I have told you. If God uses imperfect people, which I'm thankful that he does, then we need to know this. Number two, we share our experience and not our expertise. We share our experience and not our expertise. Sometimes we feel inhibited to share our faith because we feel like we don't know enough. I don't know enough theology. 
I've never been to Bible school. I haven't memorized enough scripture. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I don't want to put myself out there and then not know if they have a question how to answer. Listen, God has not called you to be a theologian. He's called you to be a witness. You say, Mike, what are you talking about? You can share your story better than anybody else can share your story. I tell people, hey, you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. Come on, somebody. Now, I know you got a story, but listen, I've got a different experience. I can tell you about my experience with the Lord better than anybody because I'm living it. You know, people can debate so many things. You can debate politics. You can debate economics. You can even debate religion. But you cannot debate a changed life. You can't argue with a life that's been changed. You say, Mike, I don't know how to even start. Well, here, let, let, let me wrap this up for you. This is very simple. I want to simplify this because you have a powerful story that people need to hear. You just need to be motivated to share it. Here's how it works. Here's your, here's your story. It starts with your life before Christ. What was your life like before Christ? <laughs> it was dark. Maybe like Mary Magdalene, it was a complete mess. Oh, listen, don't forget where you came from. God's grace met you right there. You know, that's important. What was your life like before Christ? And then you share your experience with Christ. What did Jesus do? How did you come to know the Lord? Maybe it was a church service. Maybe you were at a a, a summer camp with friends and it was a weekend deal with students. Or or, or maybe you were talking to a family member. Somebody shared their faith. Maybe you were at a funeral. You lost somebody that you love. Your heart was sensitive to eternity. How did Jesus enter into your experience, your life? before Christ, your experience with Christ, and then the change after Christ. Okay, what is your life like now? We know what it was before. Here's your experience with God, and now how has he changed you? Is this helping anybody? This is super important. Um, You know, I'll tell you this. My father-in-law is one of the I, he does, he'll never see himself like this. He, he, he retired from Exxon, 37 years. He worked at a plant. He wears boots every day. He drives a big old pickup truck. I mean, he's got a full-mounted deer in his house. Not a head mount, not a shoulder mount, a full-mounted deer. Look, when I asked him for his blessing to marry Rachel, he walked me right by that deer and just kind of patted it. I'm thinking, man, I could be next. This guy, he's a man's man, okay? But this guy, I'm going to tell you something about my, we call him Papa. Tell you something about Papa. He loves garage sales. Do we have any garage sailors out there? Only three or four of you? Some of you are just afraid to admit it in church. Man, this garage selling is a whole subculture. I mean, you people have rules of your own. It is a world that I know very little of. But he loves, I mean, Ascension Parish, East Baton Rouge Parish, Saturdays, he's garage sailing. And he loves to talk. And he'll ask a question. He'll say, hey, what's your name? You tell him, tell him your name. And then he'll say, where are you from? That's what we do in Louisiana, right? We got to trace who your people are, you know, where you're coming from. And so once you tell him your name and where you come from, then he's going to start connecting the dots. Oh, 
Okay, you're from Bayou Chico? Well, but he's going he's gonna to make you realize that your daddy's brother's cousin's uncle was your, his nephew's on his mama's side twice removed. He's related to you, okay? He is. He's going to connect the dots. And you didn't know that you were related to somebody. That's my father-in-law, okay? So he's just asking questions. What's your name? Where you're from? And, oh, did you know that this, that, and the other? And the next thing he'll say is, hey, where you go to church? drop the mic well he's introducing now a faith element and now all of a sudden you see how you you ask questions then then there's a sense of of appreciation hey i'm going to make a connection now i'm going to acknowledge ask appreciate acknowledge it's a very simple entry and now here's matters of faith this is a great way to connect with a world that is lost and desperate for the lord jesus christ you see you have an advantage over me you say mike how is that you're the preacher well listen when people find out who i am i love to have conversations with people and they don't know my identity I love it. I kind of stealth. I'm like in this ninja mode, you know. I'm just your average Walmart shopper, and I love it. And just asking questions. But the men, and it's hard in Baton Rouge when people, everybody knows everybody. But when they find out what I do for a living, when when my cover is blown, the conversation changes. People get real artificial with me. They get real plastic and professional. Now, it's raw and real up until that point. But when they find out that, oh, well, I'm the preacher. (sighs) You see, you have an advantage over me. I can't reach the people that you work with play ball with, that you go to school with, that live in your neighborhood. That, guess what? God has, has called me to equip you. And you don't have to have my Bible knowledge to be effective on the evangelistic field. You don't have to have that. In fact, you've got a, a life before Christ, an experience with Christ, and then transformation since you've met Christ. Somebody will receive from you so much better than they will from me. Look at what it says here. Let, let, let me finish. And I used to think that I, I, I had to have a sensational testimony. I, I really did. You know, the, the SAD, the SAD, the sex, alcohol, drugs. I used to think, because I was in youth ministry for, for a, a decade, and I thought I had to have a real sensational. I could tell you about the time that, man, I got drunk. and man, we robbed that bank. I could tell you about the time I was thrown in jail and we broke out. And I could tell you about the time that I was strung out. But you know what? No, that's true. <laughs> I was raised in church my whole life. Man, I come to know God at an early age. That's just the test. That's my story. I had good parents. They raised me in church. Listen, you got a story. Share your story. Let me wrap this up. Verse 8, the women, they quickly ran from the tomb. Now watch this. They were very frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. I want you to see that mixture. Frightened, but great joy. When you step out and begin to share your faith, you're going to feel frightened, but you're going to have a joy that you never knew possible. It's kind of like going to a theme park seeing that roller coaster and saying, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't getting on that thing. 
And then your friend, remember, your friend taught, you said you'd never get on it. And they talk you onto the ride. And then once you click, 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 click. And man, you're praying the most intense. You're connecting with, I mean, God and all the angels. Heaven is close to your heart in that moment. And you're saying, Lord, if you ever get me off this thing, click, 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 click. And then, and you're screaming bloody murder. You know that, that mixture of fear and then it's like that first time it turns you upside down, you're like, oh, Jesus. And you finally get off and they're like, man, how was that? And you're like, let's do it again. Sharing your faith is the same way. Some of you feel like click, 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 click. Oh, God. Oh, God. I can't believe we're talking about spiritual things. What if they ask me a question that I don't know? And then the joy comes that God can use simple, ordinary, little old you to speak of the most significant power that could change the whole world. If he does it for you, he can do it for your friend. Do it for your family member. As they went, the Bible says, verse 9, as they went, Jesus met them. Hear me, church. As you go, Jesus will meet you. You take a step. Even if you got to be scared to do it, Take that step. He'll meet you. Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him. They fell at his feet. They worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they'll see me there. Can I say this? Once you have done these things, and it's it's very simple, but once you have done these things, you release the outcome to Jesus. You are not responsible for the outcome. Now, you are responsible for your obedience, but you are not responsible for their response. Let me say this. Let me just take some pressure off of people because you know you're supposed to be salt and light. It's your job. It's your responsibility. Let me take the pressure off of you. When you share your faith, you don't always have to close the deal. Oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure they pray the prayer. I got to make sure they get saved in that conversation. Oh, I don't know. I've never prayed out loud before. How can I lead somebody else in prayer? Let me take the pressure off it. You don't have the pressure to close the deal. You have the freedom to plant the seed. That's all you do. You just plant the seed and you leave the outcome to the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, some will plant and others will water, but it's God who makes it grow. Lord, you're going to grow this. I don't have to grow it. Mike, what if they get mad? What if they reject me? You know, I've talked to people who have, they've taken a step and they've shared their faith and they were met with resistance and then they felt bad because it didn't go as planned. And then a year later, three years later, that person who was offended or upset came back to them and said, listen, I'm sorry. When you shared that with me, I wasn't ready, but God used that moment to plant something into my life. And guess what? It's growing now. You know, when you came in, you got one of these Easter invite cards. In fact, it's really three cards. It's perforated. Three little handouts. This is a simple tool to help you this week. Over the next couple of weeks, as we prepare for Easter, here's an invite card to a service at a Healing Place campus. You know what you could do? You At a restaurant today, you're talking to your waitress. You just leave this with her. Maybe you're talking to somebody at work. Hey, what's your, what's your plan for spring break? Are y'all going anywhere? Nah, about crawfish boil, baby, about a towel. Hey, look, you know, if you get a chance, come
Come by and check us out. Leave this card with a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, you know, a buddy at school. Use this as a chance to plant a seed. Maybe you see it grow. Maybe you never know. But you trust God with the outcome. Amen. You receive that today. Come on, clap your hands if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit HealingPlaceChurch.org.